0: My earliest memories of craft, which I assume would be the same for most of you, would be of folding paper into the shapes of a boat or a bird. Folding paper is one of those fundamental crafts that remain delightfully analog. The tactile nature of creating beautiful structure can be an addictive feeling and is one that my guest today has formed into a career. On Everything Comes Together, I'll be speaking with people in the broader photography, architecture and design communities. Rather than only talking about their work, we will be talking about them, their personal journey, the challenges they overcame and the most pivotal incidents in their lives that made them who they are today. So now, let's get to it. Aditi Anand is an origami artist whose work you might have come across if you watch a certain series on Netflix. Or if you follow Indian interior design, we talk about how she made the move from textile design to origami, her interests in working with architects and designers, and the importance of creative freedom. I just wanted to let you know that the Everything Comes Together podcast has a new home online. At everythingcomestogether.com, you can watch full episodes to get the whole story, or you can watch a treasure trove of playlists. On these playlists, a variety of creators from across the country present their experiences and opinions on a set of topics to give you a complete understanding of the work you love. Find out more at EverythingComesTogether.com
1: I've been born and brought up in Agra uh, ever since I can remember. Uh I remember my house in Agra, my lovely lawn in Agra. Uh, my father is a do- is is a doctor, he's a microsurgeon, and my mother is an artist. As a child, I remember uh being extremely loved at home and uh extremely exposed to the creative side of life, you know, not just studying all the time, but also being exposed to like my father was really interested in gardening so uh, uh, I remember gardening with him as a child and with my mother I remember um, making artworks with her painting on the walls making uh, paintings for the house I remember doing all of that so as a child I would say I was always exposed to a lot of creativity a lot of um, uh, right side of the brain exercising a lot of right side of the brain so uh, yeah that was my childhood And also my grandparents were very creative, like my mother, my grandmother was into singing, so uh, she would often take out her harmonium and she would start singing with us. Uh, So my childhood throughout was always very playful, very loving and extremely creative, like I mentioned
0: you know that sounds exactly like the sort of environment that you want to grow up in especially if you're going to be uh, a creative person in the future right Uh, professionally i mean not it's not just about being create professionally creative or Creative on your own, especially if you're going to build a career in it, you want to have that nurturing environment around But you. at
1: that time, I never knew that I'm going to have a creative career. Okay. I was just enjoying life the way it was. I never thought of, you know, becoming an artist one day. In fact, that was really far fetched, if you ask me, honestly. Because hmm. uh, the and later when I talk about my school, I'm going to talk about how. Uh, that was never encouraged. So, yeah. art and craft was always a part of, uh, was always something that you did when you did not have to study. When you were done studying, when you had, when it was playtime, then you would take out your drawing book, maybe make a sketch, maybe mm. make a house out of mud. I mean, I've played a lot with mud and made utensils, made houses at the ba- in the backyard. Yeah. So, yeah, that was all playtime. It was never taken seriously, but... At the same time, it was never discouraged, which I'm really grateful for. So,
0: um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, we did all of that. But that's great. I mean, and you said that your your grandparents were very creative and your your mom is an artist. What does she do?
1: She's also, she makes paintings, okay. um, 3D paintings. She also, because she comes from Calcutta, she initially started her artist career by making shola wood statues if you know shola wood is a type of paper which is made out of banana okay banana leaf. okay okay so she started making statues out of that because in calcutta the uh, during durga puja they make durga Ma durga out of shola wood right so that's how she started but then she got into painting and then she started she opened an art school in agra where i come from a very small art school. I mean, yeah. where people would come and uh, had their own hobby, um, uh, practice their own hobbies. So they would learn painting, drawing, sketching, uh, statue making, calligraphy. You know, things like that. My mother was still teaching in Agra.
0: And um, so, when you were growing up, you said that in school, um, academics were a lot more important to the school itself, right? So.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I would not deny, even to my parents, they always wanted me to, uh, if not come first, at least, you know, be at the top of the class, uh, perform well in school. But um, but I, they were never discouraging of me to practice arts at the same time, you know. Yeah. But yes, in school, I would say the vision of school was uh, not as broad as I would have uh, uh, wished for.
0: Right, I think that's something that a lot of people will be able to it's to. It's especially because
1: I also, bec- also, because I come from a very small city. And yeah. you know, the. I, I feel that the size of the city is directly proportionate to the vision of the city. Mm. Right, because they see small, their vision also is very small. When I came to Mumbai for the first time after college, I realized that the vision of a city can be so broad at the same time I mean they are two parallel universes Hmm. running at the same time and and they're so different from each other how people think how people live how people dream is so different which is so important as a child I mean children in Mumbai would have bigger dreams than children in Agra
0: you know yeah
1: It's because what they see, that's what they perceive, sadly. So, I would say the vision of the entire city played a very important role in the overall development of uh, a child.
0: So, to sort of break out of that smaller city, um, you had a lot of opportunities to travel, I assume?
1: Yes. uh, Thankfully, my uh, parents love traveling. Touchwood, they still travel a lot. I mean, uh, now they spend whatever time money they have they're left with on traveling so ever since ever since we were really young my parents used to take us everywhere with us whether whether they're road trips or their international trips we would go everywhere with them and uh, that sort of helped us get out of the in, like the mentality of the city and also have a broader idea of what the world looks like yeah. feels like what are the possibilities of life, you know, which are uh, uh, not possible yeah. to see otherwise coming from a smaller city? So, yes, we traveled a lot. And I'm very thankful uh, about that because I would always talk to my peers about it, my classmates. And and uh, I realized that nobody really travels that much. No. So I feel extremely lucky to do that. Yeah. You know? And also because my father was a doctor, he had conferences all over the world. So... Uh, that was a good excuse for us to travel with them.
0: Right, so of course. So, wherever
1: he had to go for a conference, we would all tag along. <laughs> and while my father was busy in the meeting, in the conference, my mother would just take both of us around, and we have seen all the cities all alone with, I mean, all three of us alone. Yes. Just exploring it on our own. Yeah, so I have very vivid memories of doing that.
0: Okay. So. And you have siblings?
1: yeah. Yes, I have a younger brother. Okay. He's six and a half years younger to me. Okay.
0: That's a pretty yes. big age gap to Yes, be because up. my
1: parents never planned to have another one, but I was after their life that I want a sibling. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> they
1: had no other option but to give me one. <laughs> and I'm so glad they did because yeah. he is the best human in the world. He's the closest to me and... Uh, yeah, I mean, we have had our share of fights,
0: mm. but
1: uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's the closest human that is there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you were also talking a little bit about uh, speaking with your peers and classmates and friends. Were you a very social kid or uh, did I you sort of I was very, keep to very yourself? social.
1: Very, very social. Again, that comes, that's something that comes from my parents. Um, mm. My husband likes to call it host mode. He always says that your parents are constantly in host mode. Well, even I am. I'm always trying to make everybody around me comfortable, um, make everybody around me uh, uh, happy, you know, by, by doing yeah. things or by bringing things to them. But... Um, I think that's what made me social. I was never afraid to talk to new people, to meet new people. Or uh, whether it's a child or whether it's an old person, I could I could talk to anybody and everybody. Also because uh, I, I grew up with my grandparents. So yeah. they made the environment very uh, uh, comfortable for me. So mm. I had all kinds of people coming to my house all the time. We always had guests coming to my place. So... That sort of made everything, that sort of made me very social and um, um, always in a need to talk. So, yes, I was, yeah. <laughs> I, yes, I would like to call myself extremely social, extremely talkative. And
0: how was that for you um, in school? Because I think school is a very, uh, it's an environment which is very controlled, right? So what was yes, your experience I mean, um, like in school?
1: So um, I do have some issues with my school to be honest mm. but I would not rate my school as very bad but I would not even call my school to be a good school honestly yeah. because the the very important thing that my school lacked was vision mm. and and I wish and I really hope that now they have come up with a better broader vision if not then i continue to feel sorry for them but the whole idea of letting a child know or the whole environment that you create around a child where a child feels that he is special and anything is possible in the world for him yeah like he or she can do anything in their life i think it's very important to create that environment because that helps And that encourages the child to excel at whatever he or she is doing. It's not just studies that are important. I mean, yes, studies are important. But that's not the only thing in life that they need to do.
0: Inspiring them is so important, which almost never happens. It's so
1: important. It's so important. And... Uh, in in order to yeah. uh, help a child yeah. have a broader vision you need to have an even broader vision only then will you be able to help a child so uh, mm. back in school I, I I felt like I'm in a rat race continuously in a rat race where constantly everybody is fighting to come first mm-hmm. in the class or even if they're not fighting i mean people like me who knew that we could never become we could never uh, uh, become that good at studies so there was a point when we gave up like I gave up I didn't even try to study because uh, I knew that is not possible but at the same time they had uh, killed my hopes to do anything else or try anything else in my life that I actually became like a rebel Uh, especially at the end of the school when I just did not want to study I did not I didn't feel like studying because the environment was not right. my I was not very happy mm-hmm. with my teachers um, and the overall um, uh, morale of the place was not very uh, encouraging I would say. So yeah, I mean that plays a very important role yeah. in what you want to do or what you should do.
0: But if this sort of demotivated you um, when you were in school, um, where did you feel that creative spark was lit? Because um, as you move into college, you away go into a more creative environment at uh, the National Institute of Fashion Technology. So, um, yes. what made you head in that direction? Was that always the thing? Okay,
1: oh, that's a very that's a very interesting question. Uh, mm. So, in class twelve, I did not really study honestly. Yeah, uh, I did not get good grades, but and I had uh realized that studies is not my forte I cannot study to save my life so I had to find a way out where um I would be able to do what I really liked doing and at the same time be able to establish myself make money out of it you know have a steady job so um and because I came from a very creative background like my parents being so creative um I thought of trying my hand on designing yeah. and honestly, I filled up the form of NIFT um, just like that, you know, just trying my luck mm. if I was made for it. Um, I had no idea whether I could break it. I had way break it or not. I had no idea. I was just trying my luck there. And, uh, uh, it so happened that I missed out on NID forms. So I had only Pearl and, and, and NIFT left. Yeah. So I filled up those forms and I sat for the, um, for the exam knowing, having no idea whether I'm going to make it or not. Um, uh, and I remember my exam didn't really go that well. So I had very little hope with what is going to happen with my life.
0: Yeah.
1: But, uh, With God's grace, I think I made it to NIFT. And thankfully, it's like I made the right choice at the right time in my life. Yeah. By giving that exam, by filling that form. Otherwise, I have no idea how my life would have turned. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that I recognized that I have a creative side in me. And that I can water that seed a little bit and make it and turn it into a plant. Yeah. So... So I was able to recognize it at the right time. That is what I would say. And this goes for anyone. You know, when my students now ask me, uh, uh, how did you know it? How did you start making money out of it? How do you know that this is the right thing? I, I always tell them, just follow your heart. If your heart... If you enjoy doing something, you will find ways to make money out of it. Yeah. But you have to really love something completely that you're ready to give whatever it takes. But you have to love it so much. So try to find love. Once you do, you will find ways to make money out of it. You know, don't worry about that.
0: Absolutely. Just
1: love something so much that you are ready to... Do it for the rest of your life, or for a very long period of time. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do origami for the rest of my life, but I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to do it till the time I love it, till the time I'm making, uh, till the time I'm having fun.
0: I think so, that's uh, the minute yeah. you stop having fun when you're doing a creative job, um, your work. That's suffers. when it becomes a job. No, and then the work <laughs> suffers because you you can see that there was no inspiration behind that. There was no motivation yeah, to do something yeah. new and different yeah. and fresh, because yeah. that makes such a big difference, right? So, um, so now you have uh, you've you've gotten into um, NIFT, and um, I think it's a four-year course that you were doing there. Um, what was that? What was the experience of NIFT like coming out of school? Because you jumped straight from a sheltered school environment to a college environment. Was that very different?
1: Yes, it was very different. Uh, my school was... Uh, I come from a girl's school. And so the whole mentality of the school was very different. I had never... Of myself was very different because I had never really been around boys uh, uh Uh, the only boys that I had been around were either my cousins or my brother's friends. So, of course, it was a very different environment. I was also young, younger, uh, uh, in that age where you are attracted towards, you know, where you have that. um, When you want to be um, in the best of your appearance, right, of the best of your appearance. So, uh, at that time, imagine entering a class which has boys. And you, hmm. you suddenly don't know how to be, whether you should be cool, whether you should be uh, feminine or whether you should be. Um, I don't know. There were so many questions running in my head. So in the beginning of college, I was still figuring out how to be. What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of uh, uh, character do I want to project out there? So, uh, of course, that was... Uh, initially that was how college was but at the same time because i had just come out of school and for the first time i was all alone i could be out late i could be chilling with friends and i did not have to take permission from my parents for every single thing it was very very exciting very exciting and um i would not say that i did not misuse it i did and um, uh, like all of us do <laughs> so but yeah uh so college was uh, fun at the same time because there was there was not much stress on work or i did not take much stress i was just enjoying life getting to know uh the other gender, um, falling in love, uh, if I may. <laughs> so yeah, I was doing all of that in college and also uh, studying a little bit. So that was college for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I like how you just sit studying a little bit a little just bit. to
1: survive, <laughs> just to be on the surface, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, but was uh, was. Was NIFT a, a good creative environment um, to okay. be in? Okay, so
1: because I had... That was the first creative environment that I was ever exposed to. It was nice. It was hmm. good for me. Um, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed being in that space because everybody was creative around me. There was creativity everywhere, whether they're events, whether it's decor, whether it's uh, the kind of conversations that we're having with people, whether it was my faculty, everything, every play, uh, everywhere around me, I could feel creative uh and could exercise creativity yeah. so yes of course it was a very um interesting space to be in and uh it really helped me develop and also understand creativity at a much deeper level than the kind of uh, uh yeah. space that i came from but but like i said mm. that was the first environment that i landed it's like How do I explain this? It's like you have imagined eating a pizza for a very long time and finally you get to eat that pizza but that's the first pizza that you've had. So you can't really say that. uh, Yeah. So that pizza becomes the best pizza in the world till the time you don't try any other pizza, right? It was like that. So it was like that I don't know whether This example Mm. does justice To what I want to say But uh, Yeah but after NIFT, When I went to NID That's when I realized Oh my god So this is what Actual creativity feels like This is what an actual Creative space feels like And uh, uh, It was like It was like A blast in my head I mean I was just Exposed to A different universe Of uh, creativity Where um, Passion was in, in everybody's nerves and people were not doing it just to make money. They were doing it because they loved, They were loving the process and uh, that's why they were a part of it. Yeah. Whereas in NIFT, I honestly never experienced that. They were doing it because they were supposed to do it, because they were supposed to be creative. and But by the end of it, everybody yeah, was just yeah, making yeah. money out of it. So... Uh, yeah, that was the 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 major difference that I felt personally between NIFT and NID, the kind of space and what the space uh, gives you. You know, I've heard of, so
0: much about unwanted. the NID experience. So, um, I think I can do all, I can take clips from various people's interviews where they talk about their experience there and it's something special.
1: It is a different world, Sheena. It's a different world. It's it's a bubble. And I would not say that it's very beautiful to be in that world because honestly, it's like a bubble. The minute you're in that gate, you're someone else. And the minute you come Mm -hmm. out of that gate, you come back to the real world and you realize that the world is not (laughs) as beautiful as you imagined it to be. Uh, and not as easy as you imagined it to be because there's another struggle happening outside that gate but yes there's something about that space the the gravity of that space the the charisma of that space that makes you feel like you can do anything I think that feeling is very important that feeling is very important because until unless you don't feel like you can do anything you can't do anything Mm. You have to feel it, so I think that's what NID gives you. It makes you believe that anything is possible. You know,
0: you have so, to just love it you know, enough uh, to make it possible. I'm sure you would have friends so, who studied at colleges that taught a variety of subjects. So one one guy would would probably be in com would be studying mm-hmm. some form of commerce. Another one would be studying some form of perhaps the arts or economics or English or some language or, you know, um, philosophy, something like that. And I feel in institutions like that, what happens is you, um, it's not like knowledge is a waste of time, but sometimes you end up being forced into taking certain classes. Which have nothing to do with what you want to do, right? But when you study at a specialized school like NID, I assume that such classes are not there at all. You're you're hundred percent immersed in what you're actually interested exactly. in. Exactly, they're
1: not there. They're not there. Although there are some <laughs> subjects that you would not like to study, but you would have to. Like I remember having this course in NIFT called IPR, where we studied about the uh, the right. the law side of design. So, uh, which I, of course, it's a boring subject. You had to again go back to books, read them, uh, mark them up and give an exam. But other than that, other than that, all the courses were, I would say, very exciting and uh, very much related to what you wanted to do other than studying, like you mentioned, other than doing things that you were not interested in doing, but Mm. you had to do because they were part of the course. So, thankfully, we didn't have that.
0: So, can you just give me an example of the sort of... You know important projects that you may have been working on while you were at NID because I assume that these projects would be a little bit more almost like a thesis right so where you have to put in a lot of research and things like that yeah
1: okay so uh my most favorite project that I did in NID was the one that happened mm. in the last semester and uh, yes. I spoke to you about it, it the course was called space and it was taken by an architect, and that was the first time I was exposed to an architect and the world of architecture, and I was yeah. so amazed by it. Um, so basically, what we had to do is the brief of the project was that we had to f- uh, choose a space within the college, find out the problems of that space, and through uh, and by using textiles because I came from textiles, like yeah. my department was textiles. By using textiles, you had to come up with a solution to that problem. So, uh, the very interesting... So, my favorite project was when we took our amphitheater yeah. as our main space. And our amphitheater, is an, of course, is an open space surrounded by trees. And there's always something or the other happening in the amphitheater. But... Uh, so we came up with a lot of problems that people face in the amphitheater we took a lot of interviews um, uh, filled up a lot of question- made people fill up questionnaires um, so we did a part of our research and most of the, and the, the most um, um common problem that people had with the space was that there are a lot of birds in the trees and you can't really sit under them because they're all pooping all the time in the evening, especially when the, any function was happening at <laughs> six o'clock in the evening. All these birds would want to sit on the trees and poop. So yeah. you couldn't really sit under it, you know. That was the biggest problem. So the, so by the end of it, there will be a little space left where there are no trees on top. So everybody would try to sit there. So this entire... Sitting space yeah. that existed would not be usable anymore because of the poop, and the whole floor mm. would be covered with it. So much so that the women next day would be cleaning the floor with uh, with scrubbles. So uh, yeah, so the it's, uh, so we wanted to study the fall of poop and how uh, where and the concentrated areas, the scanty areas. So how we mm. did, how we did that was. Uh, one afternoon we bought a bunch of uh, very cheap chart papers and we spread it all over the amphitheater <laughs> all over it and then in the evening we <laughs> waited, we sat there and we waited under it for the birds to come. <laughs> oh my God, we had so much fun in that uh, project, so much fun. We were three of us in a group and uh, uh, <laughs> oh my God, we had so much yeah. fun. And the next day, we went there to collect those papers, to take photos, to study the yeah. concentration. And uh, and yeah, <laughs> so that was a very interesting project. But I think that was my favorite project because um, we got to look at a very different mm. side of textiles and also exploring a new field, completely new field, which was architecture, was uh uh, very exciting for me because after doing that course, actually, I realized how much I love spaces and how much I want to experience yeah. spaces and uh, uh, and how spaces yeah. experience us, you know, vice versa. You know, so, telling
0: somebody that um, your favorite yeah, so that project was... was where you sat and waited for birds to come and poop. So you took the pictures and you documented it. What did you end up doing after that with that project?
1: We made, uh, okay, so in my college, in uh, of course, I don't know how practical yeah. it was, but the solution that we came up with was retractable roofs, which again, we used uh, origami mm-hmm. for it. Uh, and we made uh, retractable roofs, which could be made out of fabric. You could take them out, wash them, and then put them back again. So every time there's an event happening, the students can just roll it up, like how you have uh, uh, shop yeah, shutters. Yeah. So you could roll it, open the retract the roof as much as you want or as much crowd yeah. there is. And uh, uh, these cables would be tied to the trees. So we studied the trees, how the cables are going to yeah, tie yeah. to them and how the... F- the fabric is going to move my god all of that we did <laughs> i don't know how practical it was or if it would ever
0: happen did it end up happening did they end up making no 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 it?
1: they did it was just a class project oh but we did make a small prototype Ordnance. with the trees with the amphitheater with the detractable roof so my god
0: i have photos of it <laughs> and videos i would love to see I'll those show photos. You, i'll show you you will die laughing <laughs> yeah No, but I I think this is so important, right? Um, The minute I introduce you on this particular episode, Mm -hmm. you will be introduced as someone who's made a living in origami. (laughs) And the thing is now most of of the people who will be watching this are going to be young architects, right? (laughs) It is so interesting that they will never expect this particular story (laughs) to be (laughs) there. Uh, trust to be me, there. I
1: mean, it is so interesting to tell people what I do and then to get their reactions because <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: there are some people where uh, there are some yeah. times when I would want to correct them. Ki, uh, no, that's not exactly. That's not all that I do. But sometimes I don't even pay attention. I'm yeah. like, just understand whatever you can, whatever is you capable of understanding. <laughs> like the other day, my landlord is trying to explain what I do to... Uh, one of his relative and he said It's like good for you you understand that much I'm happy
0: <laughs> so it's very interesting it's better, it's better than it's better than how bad it's yeah be. exactly right and, and an then people come up with very right, interesting yeah. questions
1: so you make money out of it I'm like yeah, I try to <laughs> yeah. can you make money out of it yeah, but
0: most common question. Yeah, but
1: it's, it's very nice when uh, parents approach you and tell you how uh, much their kids are interested in origami and how good they are at it. And by God, they are. I have so many students who are, yeah. who are so good at folding, have come up with their own models. And just because their parents see me and they see a potential in it, they are able to encourage yeah. their children to practice it. And to practice it further, otherwise, I don't think their parents wouldn't have would have been able to encourage their children that much because uh, there is no uh, precedence in it, right so they don't know what yeah. to lo- who to look at. so I sometimes I feel very thankful that uh, uh, that I'm a good example for them of how you can practice what you love doing and also make money out of it at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So you know,
0: speaking about the practical side of work and um, what you're encountering today, when you were uh, in NID, uh, did you do any you know internships that were really important towards where you are today? Mm.
1: Not really. Not really. My interest. To uh, internships, yes, of course. The final internship that I did was based completely on origami was with an architect. But within the course, we had a couple of internships that we had to do, which was one month, two months. Where, because I was not exposed to architecture before, so, or spaces Mm -hmm. before, or origami before. So I did not really, I couldn't, I couldn't connect that to uh, textiles. So I was stuck to textiles. I was doing internship with export houses with yeah. mills. Uh so yeah but uh, for my final diploma project which is a six month thesis where you have to work under a company and come up with your own um, uh, project like a physical project um, that's when I did it with an architect and I made an art piece for the
0: what was it like working in an yeah. architect's office when you're not an architect
1: it was very interesting. Mm. <laughs> I have so many stories about it. So many. So um, that was the first time I was in an architecture office. I had no idea what architects do. I had no idea how uh, how work happens in that space. Right. So yeah. um, for the first time, I would so in the in my first on my first day, I would see these girls. I saw these girls sitting on their com- on their computers, all young girls, uh, yeah. freshly out of college. And they were drafting. So mm. uh, <laughs> I was very new to drafting. I mean, I had read uh, uh, The Fountainhead because I wanted to, because I was interested in architecture uh, uh, when I uh, started my internship. Yeah. So I read that. So I got to know a little bit about uh, architecture and the terms that architects use. Uh, yeah. terms like facade times uh, terms like drafting i mean they were all very new to me honestly
0: yeah yeah
1: so uh so yeah interesting story is so i would go to office every day with a bunch of a4 size papers i would sit on my desk with Sometimes my feet up on the table and I would be folding the entire day, just sitting, folding, sitting, folding and folding and throwing things on my table. So there would be a pile of origami on my table by the end of the day. And all these poor girls who were interning would be sitting on their computer the whole day, would come to me in the evening and they're like, you get paid for doing this? And... <laughs> And then, because it, it was unbelievable for them as well to have somebody like me coming from textiles doing origami in an architectural form. I mean, <laughs> think about it, right? It has, it has no connection. Right. But uh, I find myself extremely lucky that uh, I could um, uh, find a project that gave me a space to exercise uh, origami coming from a textile background.
0: So, so what was the project that you worked on that you needed to do so much origami for? So
1: um, uh, Kohinoor, Kohinoor Group was coming up with a building in um, Mahim. Okay. Do you know Mahim? Yeah. yeah in Mumbai. Yeah. So uh, near Shivaji Park, that building is still incomplete. It's called Kohinoor Square. And um, um, they were getting the marketing office ready because they were wanting to sell off the property and... Uh, So for the marketing office, there was a reception table and behind that reception table, there was a space of six meters by four meters and they wanted uh, some artwork to be made uh, out of uh, fabric Mm. and uh, or any element of textiles and uh, inspired by Kohinoor diamond. Okay. So, and because the theme of the office was sunsets, so the color palette was also sunsets, so... I was hired precisely to come up with that artwork.
0: Wait, hang on. So the first project that you work on for an architect is 6 meters by 4 meters?
1: By 4 meters, yes. Oh my, that's yes. a
0: huge project. How long did that take that's you That's a to huge do?
1: project. For an intern, for yeah. an intern. I was not even working. Right. Yeah, I was not even working.
0: So how, how long did that take you to get it done?
1: The internship was 6 months. Uh, out of which the first two months, I was just exploring the space, exploring different uh, uh, techniques of folding, yeah. exploring different mediums of textiles that I could possibly use. Um, also going and experiencing the space uh, because it was still under construction. Yeah. So, um, And I was also waiting for the construction to get over, you know, to reach a certain point where I could then place my art okay. there because you know how uh, uh, yeah, yeah. it, they tell you it will be done in so many days and it's never done on that much in that much right. so uh, uh, yeah so the entire process of uh, designing the artwork took around mm-hmm. a month and uh, then executing it took two months so total of three three and a okay. half months
0: so now after you've um, you've finished with uh, NID and you've had this unique internship at an architect's office, coming in from your background, which is quite different. Um, I suppose now is when you start your first job. Yes. So, where did you end up working the minute you got out of college? So,
1: um, I wanted to do more such projects, honestly, where I could explore more architecture, explore more space and uh, uh, exercise Mm. more origami because I was enjoying it so much but at the same time yeah. I also wanted to survive and have a job so I did try to find yeah. a few opportunities I did meet a lot of uh, architects in Mumbai because I wanted to stay in Mumbai I didn't want to move away from it so within Mumbai by the end yeah. of my internship I was looking for opportunities but I couldn't really find one so yeah. uh, so I was not left with any other option but to find a job with the textile company so, uh, so okay I, by the end of it i had to apply to a few uh, export houses mills and finally i got a job with an export house uh, where i worked for a year but uh, in that one year i also got to travel to karur uh, which is where you are very close to you very close to chennai uh, so i so, the, so i really liked that experience where i was where i went to karur and uh, 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 Experience the actual textile and how they were manufacturing it there how the textile was being weaved all all the process of textiles actually um were experienced yeah. so uh, i liked that part but the whole process of it was not really that much fun for me and especially the aspect where you work with someone where there is a boss and you have to report to that person every day i did not like that part honestly yeah. at all so I barely worked there for a year and then I was getting married so I quit and um, uh, I wanted to take a break from work from studies because I had not really taken a break I directly started working after college All right. so I wanted to give some time to that. And after I got married, that's when I started then again, because there was no other opportunity. Uh, I was not really interested in textiles, so I was not looking for a textile company job per se, but I was looking to do something where I could survive, where I could make money, honestly. So that's when I got into teaching because uh, I knew teaching is something that that came to me naturally. Mm -hmm. And I knew that people are looking for people like me who are from good design colleges, could uh, uh, could help uh, children who are aspiring to be designers, yeah. could help them. So that's how I started working with a very... I mean, I started... Real, literally, I started working at ground level. I started uh, teaching in a coaching institute in Mumbai where I worked for two years, where I just...
0: Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was a
1: coaching institute where... Um, students who are applying to colleges like NIFT, NID, Pearl used to come, uh, and it was a two years course, two year course. So um, that's, that's where I started, and then I started after uh, I was done uh, uh, teaching at the coaching student. I wanted to move up the ladder. Uh, I uh, uh, joined IIST, which is Indian Institute uh, of, it's an Indian school for design in Mumbai so okay yeah and then i also started teaching at places like nift nid as a visiting faculty so that's how i panned out in my teaching career
0: you know but that's pretty fascinating that um how so how many years of experience did you have at the point where you started teaching so much
1: honestly you don't really have you now design colleges don't really look at uh, uh, your experience as much I mean, yeah. I'm not talking about NID. NID still looks for experience, but other colleges like yeah. Pearl, NIFT, they are recruiting students right after college as faculty. Okay. So because okay. they're also looking for new, um, new and fresh minds to teach. Uh, yeah. So I think you don't really need an experience in teaching as such. You know but, that
0: uh, actually my question was not related to the colleges themselves having requirements. Okay, but
1: you yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I know people who did not have the confidence to go and teach.
1: Exactly, um, so I didn't have the yeah. confidence to teach in a college. Right. Uh, to right. teach in a real class and I, I had never taught before that. So because I was starting and I wanted to see, I wanted to know if I'm a good teacher, if I wanted to be sure of it. That's why I started teaching in a coaching institute. And initially, I did have a lot of problems. Uh, yeah. Where, uh, not problems as such, but challenges, you know, just relating to students and- uh, Yeah. How do you simplify things for them? So these kind yeah. of problems came came up, but um, uh, I think I had enough experience in teaching then. I taught there for two years and then I felt more confident i was more sure of whether i can do it whether i wanted to do it and i extremely loved the process of teaching because it's not just teaching it's also about learning every day you learn yeah. something new and uh, especially in the field of crea- in this field field of design or any creative field you're constantly mm-hmm. exposed to so many different perspectives towards the same object that you're looking at so constantly yeah. every student it's sort of opens a new door in your mind and and uh I loved that process where I'm not just teaching but also learning and the kind of classes I've always been a very open kind of a faculty where I would allow students to do whatever they wanted to do to feel free uh to exercise their creativity I never gave them a direction or never wanted to tie them down to uh uh one theme or one uh, basically I was, I was I always wanted them to discover their own strengths uh, yeah, yeah. by exercising them you know so yeah. I, I think that is why I loved teaching so much because it was so much fun teaching you were just being yourself you were just being like a mentor helping these students to discover their own capabilities and, and, and yeah. practicing them so yeah because I was I loved it so much I wanted to teach more that's why I applied to other design colleges then and uh, continued teaching for the next uh, 4 years
0: Okay and, but, that's a but, good amount of time
1: Yeah because um, and I was also training students helping them with their portfolios for design colleges so right. I had enough I had enough work uh, at that time to survive and uh, not just survive, but to enjoy it and survive.
0: How did you actually build the contacts uh, with these institutions to get on board with them? Was that hard or is that a complicated process?
1: See, at the same time, my friends, my course mates, uh, my uh, batch mates were also teaching at different colleges. So I was in touch with them as well. So that was, uh, that made connections very easy even today i have a lot of my friends were teaching in, in 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 nid at nift at shishti um, at uh, pearl you know all the top design colleges i know people working there so then the connection becomes mm. easier and i never wanted to be a yes another thing i should mention i never wanted to be a full-time faculty i always wanted to be a drifter oh. i always okay. wanted to be a visiting faculty where i was free to do whatever i wanted to do and at the same time, uh, would be teaching. So, uh, so I got a lot of opportunities to take a small workshop, you know, a weekend workshop or a one-week workshop with these colleges. So, yeah. that helped.
0: Okay. You know, um, so far we have talked quite a bit about your time in school and your bachelor's and then your master's and then your first job and now your teaching. But we haven't yet gotten to the meat of the work that you do, which is an origami. So, how did that actually begin? Where did that come from? Did you where, did you pick that up from somebody?
1: Yes. So, origami was uh, a two-weeks course which uh, uh, happened when I was in NID. My teacher, Ankur Mitra, came to take that course in uh, in NID. Which, so uh in NID we have something called a departmental elective where they expose okay. us to a craft or uh, uh, or a technique which is very different from what you do but at the same time you can marry them okay mm. so that is how origami happened and uh, yeah. uh, while the course I really enjoyed the process I realized that I'm good at it that uh, Uh, that it can be fun if I keep doing it so even when the course was was over I still continued folding for a very very long time then I integrated folding in my space uh, project the project that I was talking to you about Um, then when I went for my diploma project which was with Kohinoor Square and the artwork I'm talking about again I I've Fall, fall uh, I fell back on origami and I tried to bring some elements of it in my work because origami was was always something that was very exciting I was constantly inspired by it and I always yeah. wanted to bring something back from there you know, something right. that was inspired by origami but I could bring it to my work in whatever medium that I was working with so yeah. that urge was always there but after my diploma project, I joined a textile company and um, um, I started teaching. So origami sort of took a backseat, but I was right. still constantly folding at my, in my free time, I was still folding, making useless lamps out of it, which now <laughs> seem useless, but then seem beautiful. Um, yeah. And um, so I was constantly folding. I had been folding ever since I was a child. Um, But never knew that, you know, I could do something out of it. It was something you give me a paper and I would be folding. So whether I'm in a restaurant, whether I'm watching a movie and I have that little ticket in my hand, I was always folding. Uh, So, yeah, even while I was teaching, I was folding. And uh, that's when this opportunity came up. When my teacher who had come to NID was looking for an assistant for his work. For someone, okay. who, uh, He was looking for somebody who could help out with the projects who could help with the origami part of his projects and that good got mm. me really excited. I was in Mumbai that time and his office was in Delhi but I was all ready to shift my house from Mumbai to Delhi and just work with him, just learn more origami, just do more folding because it was so... Uh, I was so drawn towards it constantly. And I did do some projects with origami on my own. I collaborated with small architects in Mumbai uh, and did some workshops with design colleges. But I never really was able to give my 100% to origami because honestly, I did not know how to make money out of it. So this opportunity of working with Ankun and going back to him and learning um, this game, but a better game, and uh, coming back to it from a different perspective and learning it from a different uh, mindset now was very exciting for me so Mm. that's when i applied to him but uh, uh, and i started doing a lot of projects with him a lot of independent projects where he would give me a project i would work on it in mumbai and then i would go back to delhi complete it
0: so so you were actually in two separate cities the whole time The whole time and when
1: I had to actually work on a project like as long as we were doing the prototyping of it that could be done from anywhere through video conferencing. So we did that but when we actually had to work on an artwork that's when I would come to Delhi for 15-20 odd days and I would work here finish the work and then fly back. So I did that for a lot of projects enjoyed the process like anything learned so much more than what I was doing at home uh i learned to uh use other mediums other than paper i learned yeah. to understand uh, yeah i learned to understand bigger artworks to how to how to work on uh larger than life pieces how to make installations how to hang heavy artworks on the um uh, on the ceiling and uh, yeah 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 so all of that i would say i learned from him and uh, in that process I fell in love with origami even more and uh, to a point that um, I contemplated what do I want to call myself should I do I still want to call (laughs) myself a textile designer which I'm not doing anymore or whether I want to be called as an origami artist so that was a very interesting transformation.
0: So, what was the conclusion? What did you decide to call yourself?
1: <laughs> I Because then I was like completely doing origami full time. Yeah. I knew I couldn't I couldn't hold on to textiles anymore because I wasn't doing it, so there was no point. It was just a word on my resume then, you know <laughs> yeah. other than yeah, that, I was again. not really I was not really practicing it or doing justice to it. So I would yeah. rather call something what I was doing and do justice to that completely. Than yeah. to hold on to something that uh, was not really a part of me as much as the yeah. other thing was. So, yeah, I mean, I took a lot of time to actually uh, uh, finalize into what I wanted to call myself a paper folder, an origami artist. I, in mm-hmm. fact, coined the word origamist. That makes, I mean, and I that, wrote that so that uh,
0: that is not a, a proper word to describe what you do?
1: Not really. It's yeah, almost. Yeah. So that's why I
0: coined my own
1: word. I call myself origamist, an origami artist, an origamist. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people laughed at me, like, oh I mean they still do. I'm like, oh <laughs> what does that mean? But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but you know um now that I laugh at it, at that time, it was such a difficult decision for me because I knew that if I leave yeah. the textiles, I might never be able to catch it again. And yeah. I did not know if origami would give me enough substance or would give me enough, uh, uh, would be enough for me to survive for yeah. the rest of my life, or whether I would continue getting projects. Uh, work money out of it or not but that was a decision that i had to take i could not work in origami and call myself a textile designer that just confuses people right
0: yeah yeah like if people ask me today
1: so what do you do i can't tell them i'm a textile designer but i do origami so um so yeah yeah, that was a big decision that i had to take and i had to sort of uh, leave that part i mean i studied textiles for eight years 18, yeah. I did my graduation in textiles My post-graduation in textiles And uh, So I've, I've come back to textiles now I'm, I'm doing a lot of projects Which involve textiles and origami One of which you can see Right there I don't know if you can see it there Can you see that blue thing on the wall? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that yes, ombre
1: dyed, That's ombre dyed silk Okay And uh, I folded it so uh, I've now started doing artworks out of tech because I'm making um, a huge chandelier out of it actually using origami and uh, silk fabric.
0: You know, you just touched upon something that I was very interested in. You, you touched upon it very briefly, which was hanging up a heavy installation, right? No one connects paper with being heavy, but obviously it really is. And as you said, not all the 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 works that you do are in paper. Mm-hmm. Metal is obviously mm-hmm. going to be very heavy and so will fabric and uh, textiles. So what is your process like just simply to fit the installation in place to install it wherever it's being used? Is that a very complicated process? Does your design process also affect how it's installed?
1: Yes, so the main factors of when we're designing uh, something like that of that scale is uh, the most important point is budget. What is the budget of the entire process? Mm. Because that uh, uh, decides that makes us understand how much time can we give in this project? How many people can we hire for this project? What material can we use for this project? And um, um, yeah the three major things that we need is depend is it all depends on the budget and of course on the space so uh yeah. if we have limited time but if we have a bigger project to work on then we would need that many more people and that much more money we right. have to spend on these people to give them right um yeah so uh if we have like a big project which has to be hung then you have to do a lot of reverse calculations where how much time will we need to hang the piece uh, how many people will we need for the installation and what kind of material yeah. will we be using because it also depends on what mm. kind of uh, uh, arrangements do we have in that space how can we hang it we need very strong hooks to be available yeah where we need to hang it so if We have good enough hooks then we can precisely use any material, but uh, Mm. uh, out of all the materials that we use, paper is the lightest, but that doesn't mean that paper is light, paper is very, very heavy. Yeah. I mean, we have made installations that were 250 kgs and we managed to hang them to four hooks. Wow. So, uh, yeah, but uh, then of course, uh, polypropylene gets heavier and... So does leather. Leather is very expensive. You can't even afford a leather installation. Mm, like a full-on yeah. leather installation. But yeah, polypropylene is even more heavier than paper. So these kind of things you need to understand when you look at a space, when you go for your uh, uh, Reiki of the space. So you make these yeah. uh, notes, give these notes to yourself of the arrangement. Then, of course, the budget. Mm. And... Uh, I would say making of an artwork is only 50% of the uh, of, of the work. 50% is when you actually they're hanging that artwork to the ceiling because that's when a lot of th- not just hanging but installing any artwork is 50% yeah. of the work. It can be hanging 4000 birds to the ceiling which I did for a project which I did for a wedding in Chennai 4000 birds. 4000 4000 cranes done in one night. Wow and it was not easy to hang those birds i mean to uh, <laughs> mm. to to coordinate with so many people who were involved in the hanging process and how to hang them and how far should they be from each other or how what is the height of the bird to the ceiling everything had to be you know kept in uh, uh, kept in mind while designing that artwork and while hanging the installation. So, I would say it is not easy to install anything actually, not just origami, but to have that kind of a vision and to make it possible, um, you Mm. really need a lot of um, patience for it. So... I
0: can imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, 50% of the work happens after you've made the artwork and when you're on site, when you're installing it when you have to make last minute changes when uh, you're trying to install, when you're trying to lift an artwork and your ropes are burning because the artwork is so heavy and the rope is not able to take the weight then you have to change the entire roping of the artwork so yeah, those kind of decisions have to be made last minute and uh, you can never imagine those kind of yeah,
0: So I and I guess happened. when you have limited time and a why different I say city, It's a lot about the pre-planning.
1: Yes, you have limited time. Yes, you have limited time. You have limited time. You have limited resources. I mean, uh, uh, so the artwork that I'm talking about where Mm. the artwork was 250 kgs. The sculpture was 250 kgs. And we took these ropes from Delhi, thinking that these ropes would be enough. But uh, sadly, they weren't. We had only two days to install the artwork and we took a weekend. We chose a weekend to install it <laughs> and because the ropes were not working, we had to buy a new set of ropes and that day was a Sunday and the entire Mumbai was shut. I was running around in the city in a cab looking for ropes, but I couldn't find, couldn't find the kind of ropes that I wanted because the entire Crawford market was shut. The entire hardware, hard the weather, where the hardcore hardware stuff you find and Mumbai was shut so we had to uh stay back for another day Monday morning I went to the to the shops bought the new rope and that's how we were able to install it we bought pulleys all these last minute changes had to be done you know we bought small pulleys hung pulleys on the hooks so that uh uh, so that uh, uh uh, pulling the artwork becomes slightly easier on the roads
0: oh so so you know it it seems like every single installation is so different right
1: every single installation has some challenge yeah. has some you would sit here and feel ah this is easy yeah this is i mean i made a hexagon a huge hexagon had to be made mm. which was around uh, 5 feet diameter
0: yeah.
1: of the hexagon yeah So they wanted an artwork uh, and then they wanted a board behind it and then they wanted it to be uh, framed. So my work was done in one day Mm. when I was was done. Not in one day, but in a week. Mm. So my artwork was done in a week. But the bigger challenge was to stick that artwork to um, plywood. Now, the plywood had to be of a certain thickness because uh, otherwise it wouldn't be straight because it was of that scale so it had to be um, of a certain thickness and once that was done we realized that the artwork is so heavy it was so heavy I mean imagine yeah uh, almost two ply full-size plywoods went in the making of that hexagon yeah
0: yeah
1: and then it had to be framed so finding that size of glass was a challenge yeah and
0: And the glass weighs uh, a ton as well
1: yeah finding that size of glass then cutting it getting it cut into a hexagon framing the artwork and then the 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 story doesn't end there it had to be couriered to bangalore <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know how the client managed i was like i cannot take the load of getting it uh, couriered i can handle it till the framing part yeah. my god the glass itself was for 20000 the glass <laughs> so you will think this this is easy like that hexagon making the hexagon is so easy, yeah. but uh, compared to the other things that followed it, my God! So no project is ever easy.
0: You know you're talking about a five five foot diameter hexagon. I made a a five foot panoramic print, which uh, was hanging above my desk in my office, and wow. that print it, it just looks like a very simple print because it's a very simple picture on it but it's big right and once we got it framed because and you can't use uh, you can't use a sort of plastic frame which is what most frames are because it's so big plastic will just flex so it needed <laughs> to have a hard exactly it needed to have the hardwood backing and it needed to have a hardwood frame and then it needed to have proper glass in it so the whole thing weighed about 20 kilos and it was just one ah, single I
1: totally I totally understand. Yeah I so totally then when you hang understand. it up yeah.
0: how many nails do you put in the wall to hold up that frame <laughs> so
1: <laughs> that's exactly what i'm saying you would you would feel that it's oh that's easy but uh, but making an artwork is only fifty percent of the work. Fifty percent is taking it there and installing it, but it is so exciting. I feel the joy that you get after you're done with the work and you sit back, relax, and look at look at it. Yeah, it just it's it's the most rewarding thing in the world. I would say.
0: You know, there's two questions that I had uh, about the work you do. One is. You know you you obviously have the sort of clients who give you the freedom that you really need and you really want right So how long did that take you to get these types of clients did it, was that settling in period a very long one or did you
1: No I started getting I I started getting these kind of clients from the very beginning mm. um who would give me the freedom to uh, work on the project however I wanted mm. they of course gave me few outlines of of course first being the budget yeah so I had to think within that and some people gave me an outline of uh gave me um the material that they wanted to work with so that was another limitation that I had but other than that design wise I never I never had any limitations I could do whatever I wanted to do however I wanted to do as long as I'm making something beautiful, as long as I'm making something within their budget. Yeah. Uh, I was very lucky that ways, I would say, that my client gave me... But, you know, the kind of work that I do also helped because people don't really imagine, they don't really know origami, it is still so new to them. Yeah. So, so they trust my expertise. And... um, so when they give me a project, they would only want to see a small prototype of what it's going to look like, and then they leave it on me, completely. So um, I really, I really am uh, very thankful for that.
0: You know, it's very unusual because architects themselves don't get all the the exact sort of work that they um, want early on because. <laughs> It's very hard to trust someone who's new to a particular field with, you know, complete creative freedom. It's the same for photographers as well, same for people who work in um, the technical side of the movie industry. But is it, do you feel like you got that kind of creative freedom because origami is so See, I would
1: also say that um, uh, because initially I did a lot of projects with Onkran, So that gave me a good body of work to show to my clients of the kind of work that I had already done. Mm. So that gave them a little bit of trust on me. Right. Um, And that helped me also to have a little bit of trust on myself, whether this was possible or not possible. How much risk could I take? How much could I challenge myself with the medium or the scale or the fold, you know? Yeah. So... So, I think a good body of work is something that would help both of you, you as a maker and your client as a buyer to have that much trust on uh, what is going to come out of it. So, uh, I think that helped.
0: And so, obviously, no one gets to where they are without having a couple of big breaks that happened along the way, right? So would um, probably one of your more visible projects, which I didn't even know was yours until we talked earlier, was Sacred Games. I had obviously seen your work there without knowing that was yours. So how did that happen?
1: It also happened through Instagram. I mean, uh, uh, they found me, they found my work on Instagram and uh, they were looking for something new um uh, for their sets and because they were working on um, the entire story of Sacred Games was based on um, self-realization and Kalki the one of their main characters was working on meditation and you know doing things that are self-healing so they found origami to be a very good uh, uh um uh technique to bring in for the process and uh, encourage that. So that's how I came in the picture. And uh, while we were actually going through the kind of uh, um, elements that they were looking for, for the sets, they showed me the logo of Sacred Games. And the minute I saw that logo, I literally begged them I was like can I please make this an origami because this logo has origami all around it it was so geometric Uh, the minute I saw it I could I could visualize the folds in it and I was like I have to make it and uh, that got them so excited because they were looking for something for Kalki's office they wanted a huge artwork to be there in her office so So they gave me a shot and they were like, why don't you make a small piece and show it to us? And if we like it, we would buy it. So uh, within 24 hours, they had a prototype in front of them. I was sitting (laughs) in their office with work and I was like, give it to me. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how it happened. But uh, like I say, if you love it, uh, you will find ways to, you know, um, bring it out or to project it Mm. to the world like i never knew this is going to be a big break for me honestly but it turned out to be and it turned out beautiful and the way they have put it up in the office because i had no imagination of what it is going to look like whether it's going to be far in the background or whether it's going to or whether the camera the scene is going to start with that artwork where you look at the artwork and the camera rolls back. And then you see the office of Kalki. That is how I had imagined it would be. My arm would look so beautiful like that, but that never happened. But I had no idea how they were going to shoot it. Even the people, the production team who were communicating with me, I constantly called them and asked them, have Have you used it? How have they used it? They're like, you'll get to see it in the show. You'll so get you to had to wait the until show.
0: The, the show and was done, the, just like everyone else? Yes.
1: So the day Sacred Games was releasing, I had not seen their season right. 1. But season 2, I mean... Um, I saw the entire series just so that I knew that in which scene mein you could see my artwork, <laughs> you know. And there's some three scenes in which you can see that, it,
0: so that got me really And did that also bring you uh, more attention and like work coming your way?
1: Yes, of course it did. Of <laughs> course it did. Because I immediately put it up on Instagram and uh, Sacred Games was also very new at that time. Now you have so many series coming up, but back then, this was around three years back, Netflix was absolutely new in India and uh, people were really going crazy over Sacred Games. So uh, thankfully that got a lot of eyes towards me. And... um, after that, so a lot you of get people approached me for that. And
0: and you get most of your work through Instagram or is it through a lot of mouth? Uh, uh, almost all of, word of, of it mouth. through
1: Instagram. Okay. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Instagram has been uh, very important for my work because it does one thing so well. Yeah. It helps you find people and it helps people find you. Yeah. So... Agreed. Um, that it does so seamlessly and so so uh, easily, I think that's what makes it so uh, brilliant as a as a as a software as an application yeah. for people to use, and that is why the whole world is on Instagram. Thank <laughs> God for that. Yeah. And also because everybody is so approachable on Instagram, yeah. right? Like if I, uh, if I want to write something to let's say Deepika Padukone, I know that if I DM her, her team would get that message. I know it. That if it's worth it, it will reach her. Earlier, before Instagram, yeah, there was no way I could contact somebody like Deepika Padukone. She was too far fetched, yeah. right? Yeah. But now, at least there is a way. Even if you're not found, even if she doesn't, I mean, her team doesn't uh, uh, find your message important. At least it would reach somewhere yeah. where you know the direction is right.
0: Yeah, even if it's a small chance, it's still a chance.
1: Exactly, yeah. it's still a chance. Yeah. Like exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And it's so easy to find people now to approach. So many architects, so many event designers. I mean, yeah. mm, it's it's just made the entire process of finding people and being found so much easier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, my entire work is through Instagram. Thanks to Instagram.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now, how long have you been working independently for about five years now? Six years?
1: In origami? Uh,
0: uh, yeah.
1: Around five years.
0: Right. So, h- how long d- did it take for you to feel like the w- the work was stable, the business was stable?
1: I would say when I started getting... Uh, so, there were always projects coming up from Ankan's side. He was always looking for people. So, I knew that there is enough work out there. I mean, people are looking yeah. for... For new opportunities, people are looking for um, uh, something new to give to their residential spaces, their commercial spaces, to hotels. Yeah. I mean, there was to events. There was such a big market for something yeah. uh, something that makes people go, wow, right, out there. Yeah, Which yeah. I realized while I was doing projects with Ankun. And um then, after doing a couple of projects, and after I started putting up work on my Instagram handle, I started getting projects on my own. So, yeah. um, so that was very helpful because that made me realize that there is enough potential. I will get work and I will be able to sustain myself. Of course, there would be times when uh, there would be no work. but then I could always fall back on teaching and I could, that's what thankfully pandemic did. while pandemic, there was no. Uh, as such architectural work that I did um, installation work that I did but uh, all of the revenue that I was able to generate came from teaching where for the first time I delved into online origami teaching I mean I had never imagined teaching origami through um, uh, from a screen but uh, because before pandemic I had I took a lot of workshops physical workshops where I was traveling to different cities all over Um, the country to take these physical workshops but uh, pandemic opened different types of doors for me so uh, that's when I came up with the the origami kit that I've made now where anybody can fold with uh, the material that is there so yeah
0: of course that
1: uh, things lead one thing leads to another you know that's how it organically happened
0: Considering you're doing something quite unique, and you've uh, had varied experiences in different places, but throughout this whole period that you've been working, did you ever feel that, did you know what you were doing the whole time? Was that ever the end? What did you, uh, what you're doing today, was that the end goal? Was, was it a concentrated effort to get there?
1: No, it was never it was it was never uh if you ask me today what am i doing or where am i heading towards yeah now, i don't have an answer to that because um, as new as origami is for you guys or for anyone yeah. else outside the person who's walking on the road it is that much it is that new for me as well so i'm yeah. also exploring it Uh, as I'm practicing it. There's the new things that I discover every day. Thanks to Instagram, I get to see how people from all over the world or people at different parts of the world are using Mm. origami in so many different ways. And that inspires me, gives me ideas as to how can I involve that here in this country with the limitations that we have. How can I um, integrate it more in people's life? How can I make um, uh, it Uh, how can I make products out of it that people would be able to relate to, would be able to use uh, on on an everyday basis? So I'm also exploring it as I'm going, you know, I don't, I don't imagine myself, like if you ask me, how do you, where do you imagine yourself five years from now? I would say, I don't know. I really don't know. There There is something that I wanted to do last year, which I'm going to do this year for sure. I wanted to go to Spiti for a month and teach origami to the street children there, like carry a lot of paper and just fold with them, you know, get new ideas from them because they have seen world from a very different point of view and uh, uh, get ideas from the mountains, get them back to the city and maybe make an artwork out of what they have created. Yeah. but that was I mean I like I said I'm just I'm a drifter I I don't know where I'm heading towards and it sounds very stupid I know but uh, that's the only thing that excites me about yeah. origami is that it's so new it's constantly I am uh, meeting new people who I can collaborate with constantly I'm meeting uh, I'm finding new ways of bringing it out of encouraging people to fold I'm going to Uh, Like for example, I'm going to have a workshop this weekend, which is a two days workshop where um, um, uh, all the participants would be getting a box that I've created. I'll be showing that box here as well. And all the participants would be getting this box and uh, uh, I would be teaching them. Uh, origami models made out of the elements that get that come out of the box so that is going to be a very different experience I've never done that where I know exactly the material that people are going to use so having that control is also very um uh, 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 nerve-wracking and at the same time uh, uh, very exciting so I'm always looking for new experiences as an artist and I don't want to take one road. I don't want to stick to one type of fold and do only that and make that my forte or have one style of work and make that my forte. I don't want to do that. I am still, I'm always looking for how else can I project or how else can I bring out origami in a way that the world had never imagined before, which uh, there's already enough happening if you follow uh, people on Instagram to see my God the kind of things that people are creating using folding as a technique. But uh, I have a different clientele here in India, and I can take advantage of it and uh, uh, can project it in that in that uh, direction. And here I have the power to steer the boat, and because I have no precedent, so. Um, Uh, in front of me Uh, I can take it wherever I want to or do whatever I want to do with it and uh, I think I'm just enjoying that process and I would hopefully continue to do that The, the, the thought of stagnating in a place making a studio where there are people working for me and I have to give them salaries is so daunting to me right now uh, I might end up doing it. I'm not denying it. So it should not happen that tomorrow <laughs> I have an office and then you come and question Yeah. Again. Oh, but you said something else in my interview. So, like I said, I'm always open to new ideas. I mean, I like I love that part of what I do, and uh, yeah, I want to stick to that. So if I want to take an off, I can take an off. That is how I imagine working.
0: I think, that's a, that, I think that's a good uh, point at which to close out this conversation. Thank you very much for doing this, Saditi.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I mean, I have never done such a um, long interview with anyone. <laughs> uh, there have been enough interviews that I've done in this one year, thanks to the pandemic, yeah. uh, where I had to talk about my work or show my work. But this has been so different because... Uh, I had never really talked about from the beginning it all started from so how did you start origami yeah there was no interview that started before origami so how was what was your childhood like how was your school like I mean these are the conversations that I've had only with like school conversations happen only with school friends right I would not discuss my college Mm. uh, my school life with my college friends with that much detail but It was so interesting how we spoke about these things and found out that we almost come from the same kind of background. Yeah. uh, uh, I think, I guess, all of us who are from our generation, are 33, 34 right now, come from a similar background. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was very interesting to connect those dots. Yeah,
0: no, but for me, it was so important to do something like this because I feel it gives a lot of validation to anyone who listens to it because they will relate to what you have gone through. To
1: what you did. Yeah, yeah, today. yeah.
0: Okay, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Sheena. Thank you so much for having me. It was, I had a wonderful time recording this.
0: Well, that's our show for this week. You can find links to get in touch with my guests in the episode description below on YouTube, or if you're listening to the audio podcast, just swipe or tap over the cover art. You can watch other full episodes and curated playlists at everythingcomestogether.com. Please subscribe to Srinath Pictures on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio podcast by subscribing to Everything Comes Together on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and leave a five-star review. If you like this episode, please tell a friend about it and help get the word out about this show. The music for this podcast was composed by Ashray Harishankar from Escapist Music, post-production by Thiruvikraman Srinivasaragavan and production assistance by Abdul Jalani. Until we meet again with another fascinating guest, you can reach me on Instagram at Srinag or at everythingcomestogether.com. Have a good day.